And now, the true light featuring Sayyid Isa Al Hadi Al Mahdi. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I ran across a book uh, last week called The Lost Book of the Bible and the Forgotten Books of Eden. And um, I ran across something that was uh, disturbing to me. Um, I can't read this in Roman numerals, but it's a chapter about Adam and Eve. It's one of the books that wasn't in the Bible. And um, I ran across something of a prophecy of the coming of Christ. <clears throat> and this is Adam. This is God supposedly speaking to Adam, if I can read this. Again said God unto Adam, all this misery that hath been made to take upon thee because of thy transgression will not set free from the hand of Satan and will not save thee, but I will. When I shall come down from heaven and shall become flesh of thy seed and take upon me the infamy from which thou sufferest, then the darkness that came upon thee in the cave shall come upon me in the grave when I'm in the flesh of the seed. And I shall, for I am without years, shall be subject to the reckoning of years, of times, of months, and of days, and I shall be reckoned, reckoned as one of the sons of man in order to save thee. Um, what he is saying to me is that um, 
that Allah put, personified into a man and came down. Right. No problem. You know why? Because I'm looking at a man right now. You. Mm -hmm. And Allah is a soul inside your body. You understand that? Allah is in every man. That's why Jesus made a statement. Did I not say ye are God? When they tried to pinpoint him as just a God, they asked him, what's the highest of all the commandments? He said, well, the highest of all the commandments is that the Lord thy God is one God, and you should worship him alone. That was his statement. But when he referred to anybody else in St. John's, he said, I came unto my own people, but my own people received me not. But as many of them that do receive me, I give them the power to be what? Sons of God. When the, when the Pharisees and them questioned him about his Godship, he turned and said, Is it not written in your law, I said ye are God? So he was not saying that he was the only God personified. He was saying all man who lives righteous has the spirit of the Most High in them or the soul moving them, making them holy. That's why Jesus kept saying, you've got to be born again. You have messed up since your first birth. You've got to be born again and get the Holy Spirit moving inside you again. And that Holy Spirit comes down from where? What did Jesus say? It comes down from heaven. But when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in the morning, they said the skies opened up an image or like a dove descended down from heaven upon Jesus. And then they heard a voice from heaven saying what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You see? So it was the spirit that he sent down because the voice was still in the heavens. That's what the Christians keep missing when they read that section. When it speaks about the skies opening and the dove descending, the voice came from the heavens. So if Jesus was on earth and the dove was descending or the likeness of a dove was descending, the voice, who was the voice of whom? Well, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew. He said, our father who art where? In heaven. And Jesus made it very clear to them in their doctrine of crucifixion, because if he was on the cross, he said, Father, it is over. Unto your hands I send my spirit. Now, if he was the Father, shouldn't he say, well, it is over. Now I will return to heaven. He didn't say that. He's speaking from the first person singular to the second. Father, it is over. Unto your hands I send my spirit. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, so there's nothing wrong with that book. That book is merely saying that when you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. When I see you, I see the Father if you are walking in the Father's footsteps and if you are obeying the words of the Father and if you are living by the commandments of the Father. When I see you, I see the Father. The Prophet Muhammad made the same statement. He said, follow my sunnah. Follow my way, because I am the best of examples for this day and time. I am the seal of the prophets. Obey me, and you're obeying Allah. Love me, and you're loving Allah. This is the same as Jesus. I and the Father are one. When you see me, you see the Father. They said, oh, you're saying that you are the Father? He said, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are God. They said, then stone him. Anyway. So when you realize who you are and you make the declaration, all of us are the children of the Most High and His Spirit is in us, then people say about Imam Isa, he says he is Allah. I never said I am Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am one of His sons, one of His children, and His Spirit moves in me because He said He did. He used the word nafakha, to breathe. He said he breathed, he blew his spirit into me, and I became a living soul. He said that. Now, are you going to go against that? 
I, that's on you. The way I see it and the way I know you see it is that all the divine that moves through me, my intuition, my psychic powers, and we all have these sensitivities because sometimes you get ready to pick up a phone and someone is there. And you get ready to call John, you get ready to dial his number, you pick up the phone and John then dialed you at the same time. Or you walk in and say, you know what? I haven't seen my friend Ahmed in about a month. Turn the corner, corner and bump right into Ahmed. That is divine moving in you. Because it ain't no coincidence if it happened more than twice. Coincidence means two incidents. Coincidence. If it happened to you more than twice in your life, then it ain't no coincidence. The divine is moving inside you. And if you channel that divine, nothing can stop you. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you channel the divine in you and let it grow in you and become born again and let the Holy Spirit move you and live by the will of the Most High, nothing and nobody can stop you. That's what I'm trying to teach. And of course the white man and the devil and his helpers hate that because I'll have black men walking around saying, you know what we are? We are supreme beings. We didn't say we are love. We are the supreme beings. As I said a couple of weeks ago downstairs when I was in the class, I said that they go to Egypt and they look at statues all up and down the Nile, don't they? And what do they call them? Gods. They say, these are Egyptian gods. That's Ramses. That's one of your descendants they're talking about. That's Abimelech, one of your descendants. So when the white man is on one of his little excursions to Cairo, fly Cairo for $354, and go from the hotel, and he rides on over to the pyramids, and he sees the Sphinx, then he goes down into Luxor, and he sees all these massive statues of black men with big lips and nappy hair, and says, these are the Egyptian gods, right? Then he comes back to America, borders in Kennedy Airport, and sees this guy grabbing his luggage and says, look at that nasty nigger. Mm. That nasty nigger, Whitey, is the same God you was admiring when you was in Egypt. <laughs> you just misplaced him. You just took his soul from him. You moved you removed his purpose and you injected drugs and alcohol and bad thoughts and anger and envy and jealous. You removed his dignity. You removed his manhood. How can he stand up and be supreme when you have made him a bum? But I'm going to tell you something, white man. If you stop and listen to a derelict, you hear divine. <laughs> You're right about that. If you go right up to the Port Authority and talk to a, a derelict who's mumbling, listen to what that man is mumbling. He's usually saying, they did this to me. I don't know why they picked on me. I trusted in them. I be- Didn't you trust him? You trust the white man so much that you worked six days and waited to get paid on the seventh. And they would start working another six days and waiting to get paid on the seventh. You never once said, pay me each day I work. Or pay me before I do the work. No, you did a whole six days. And then he gave you a piece of paper and sent you to a friend of his who put a stamp and made you sign your signature. He gave you some more paper and told you it was worth its weight in gold. Oh, you could identify with gold. Why can you identify with gold? Because you come from Mother Africa, Africa where gold is born. And I, I want to add another chapter to this, which I've said many times. If the Heavenly Father, are y'all with me? With you. If the Heavenly Father didn't love black people so much, <laughs> why did he put all of the richest minerals under our feet in Africa and none in Europe? 
Why is gold and diamonds and onyx and ivory? They got to go to Africa to shoot our elephant brothers. So that's all they are to us. So that's how we live with them until Tarzan came. <laughs> A white man, huh? He running around Africa. Yeah, right. Catch malaria and die the first week. <laughs> but anyway, in Africa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed gold. If you don't believe me, ask the South Africans. That's why they have apartheid, really. Now, why did Allah chose you to give the gold? He could have put it in Europe. He didn't put it in the Vatican. The Pope ain't got no gold growing under him. He don't think much of Christianity, you know. Because Christians, they never had no wealth. They ain't even had good weather. Nowhere they ever resided was there ever a comfortable environment for Christians. Nowhere. Not even in Utah. But the Almighty, now listen again, he loved you so much, he put the criteria for wealth in the whole world under your feet in Africa, gold. And you gave it up to be American Negroes. You willfully gave up the gold to serve the white man. Because the slave master came over there and made offers for you, and he's going to give you more money for your labors than you can earn in your own land. <laughs> How can you earn more money than all the gold in the world? Ain't that what he told us? And then we climb on the good ship Jesus That's right. <laughs> and end up in America. And has he ever given you a gold? No. What has he given you in turn? He gave you drugs. He gave you pork. He gave you poverty. He gave you diseases. He gave you the wrong image of yourself, the wrong likeness of yourself. He even changed the name from, from Allah to God. He took away God. He took away language. He took away land. He took away your name. And now he's even taken away your manhood and changing you into Michael Jackson. He hasn't stopped taking. And you know the worst part about it, y'all? You know the worst part? We haven't stopped giving. There's still black people saying, all white people ain't bad, are they? I mean, I know some white people. They, they, I mean, this white guy in school, you know, he, uh, well, you know, when I take this carpool, wait, wait, I was, you know, I was in the hospital very sick and this white, wait, uh, all white people are not bad, are they? <laughs> no, no. All lions are not bad either. Just don't wear no meat soup when you're around them. <laughs> What I mean by that is as long as you are a docile, bojangle-type Sunni Muslim saying there's no racism, you never have anything to fear with the white man. He loves Satsmo. He loves Rochester. He loves Sammy Davis Jr. He loves Bed Marine. But he can't stand Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He can't stand Malcolm X. He couldn't stand Marcus Garvey. He couldn't stand Noble Dwali. He couldn't stand Clarence 13X. And he can't stand me. And I won't let him stand on me or you if I can help it. You understand? But he loves a smiling, head-scratching, watermelon-eating, even if he's saying he's a Muslim. I'm a Muslim, but white people are okay. Which white people are okay? The Irish? The Polish? The Yiddish? Who? Name one that's okay. Name one that's not responsible in some way or form for going into one of our lands and destroying us. Tell me what the white man has contributed to the upliftment of humanity. Bombs? 
genocide, drugs, manufacturing of drugs? Tell me, brother. Give me a reason to want to like them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to trust them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to live with them. Just one. Give me a reason to want to work with them. Just one. Because I came over here not of my own free will. Because you took me off my goal. Because you wanted it. And I learned to like you. No, no, no. Better yet. I learned to love you more than I love myself. Because I wanted to look like you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk like you. I wanted to walk like you. I wanted to live in the houses you live in and go to the clubs you go to and eat in the restaurants you do and laugh at the comedy you laughed at and cry at the sad days and give out hearts on Valentine's Day. I wanted to celebrate the fact that you beat up the Indians and took their land. We call it Thanksgiving. I wanted to celebrate the birth of your women, the witches in the hollows, and we call it Halloween. I want to eat rats and call it rabbit. I want to eat pork, the filth of the earth. I want to get drunk. I want to stay drugged. I want you to rape my sisters. I want my sisters walking around with mini skirts and extensions of dead people's hair. This is all the things I want from you. I appreciate this, Mr. Whitey. There's the least you can do for us who built America for you. There's the least you could do for people who came and trusted you. We gave you our trust because we are very sensitive people. We gave you our very heart. And right now, there's brothers and sisters still out there trusting the Mr. White Man, going to your schools and getting your education and believing that one day there's going to be some hope because Dr. Martin Luther King said so. They didn't see how he died. Yeah. They didn't see why he died. They seem to have forgotten even when he died. They don't know that he was a peaceful man and you killed him. And Malcolm X was a very unpeaceful man and you killed him. So you didn't kill them for what they said or what they wanted. You killed them for what they were. And that means, black man, that regardless of what you say, whether it's a black Muslim or black Jew or 5% or a Rastafarian, or Pentecostal, or born-again Christian, or Seventh-day Adventist, or Jehovah Witness, or Africanologist, whatever you say you are, he doesn't kill you for that reason. He kills you because you are a supreme being. He's killing God every time he kills one of you. He's killing the name of Allah every time he removes one of you. This is what the white man has given you in return for your slave labor. You understand what I'm saying? He abuses you over and over again. And I want to add, I'm as sensitive as any other black man here. And I feel sorry for anybody, Sunni Muslim or Christian or anybody who wants to slide up under the arm of this devil and his leprosy and let him lie to you and tell you what he's going to promise you in the future. We then waited 379 and some more for your Christ to come. We didn't watch the skies. We then sung the gospel. We didn't had the seizures. We then gave you our money. We foamed at the mouth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit as Paul said so. We went and fought the war for you. We didn't only go to Vietnam. 
We fought the Civil War. You follow what I'm saying? What else do you want from us? And all we ask of you is to recognize our existence and either replace us from which you've taken us or give us the ability to build for ourselves. I don't think that's asking too much after 400 years. Either give us back our motherland, Africa, and take your little leprous butt on out of there, mm-hmm. go on back up on that mountain in Europe behind that rope, and let that leprosy come upon you again, that hemophilia, and your syphilis, and your gonorrhea, and your herpes, let it all eat you up and leave us alone. It's just because we are supreme beings that we work off compassion and mercy. We keep forgiving you. We keep forgiving you. I should have realized when Allah didn't want you under the sun that you didn't belong on this planet. Mm. I should have realized that, that you're the only people on the planet that can't lay on the beach without fear of dying of cancer. That was man's sign that you were not an earthling. And you didn't come from out of space, otherwise you wouldn't be trying to get up there. You would know how to get up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. You could have only came from hell. A pit. Because that you know how to do. You know how to dig down. (laughs) So all we're going to do is bind you and put you back in your pit. Let's dance. I got um, two more questions. Um, um, The first question is, I went to a um, Dr. Ben uh, lecture, and he made a comment about Moses, uh, how he got the Ten Commandments. And he said that Moses lived in Egypt all his life, and that the Egyptians recited the 42 negative confessions, which was partial of the uh, Ten Commandments, and uh, that he didn't get it from the burning bush, that he studied in Egypt, and he was a high priest, and that's how he got it. Could you uh, clarify that? Sure. It's quite simple. You know what's wrong with (laughs) my good brother, Dr. Ben? What's that? He's been talking to the wrong kind of Muslims. He's been talking to misinformed Muslims. Well, he said that he got his research uh, from being in Africa. Right. And I've seen him there yeah. on, his, on his excursions and his tours. Yeah. And don't knock it. But what he's missing is this. Bismillahi ar-Rahmani ar-Rahim. Anybody can turn the Quran to this if they want. Chapter 2, verse 136. <laughs> وَمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْمَعِيلَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَاقُوبَ وَأَسْبَاطَ وَمَا أُطِيعَ مُوسَى That's Moses. وَعِيسَى That's Jesus. وَمَا أُطِيعَ نَبِيُّونَ مِنْ رَبِّهِمْ لَا نُفَرْقْ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِنْهُمْ وَنَحْنُ لَهُ مُسْلِمُونَ This quote is saying, it's talking first of all to all Muslims from Muhammad عليه السلام Say this, Muslim, I have my faith by way of Allah, Billahi, and wa ma what unzila was sent down Elena to us. This is talking about the Quran. Okay? Wa ma and what unzila ilay was sent down to Abraham. If you ask a Muslim, what book was sent down to Abraham, the average Muslim don't know about the Sahuf. They don't have that kind of knowledge. They just go, the Quran. <laughs> and that's that. we've already passed the Quran. 
This book says something was sent down to Abraham, a revelation. Okay? Wa Ismail and, and Ishmael. Wa Ishaq and Isaac. Wa Yaqub and Yaqub. Wa Asba and the tribes. That ends that. What was sent down to you, meaning the Quran, and what was sent down to Abraham, the Sahuk, and to Ismail, his son, Ismail and Isaac, who both had the revelation of the Sahuk, the father, and Jacob and the tribes, meaning the tribes of Israel, and Ishmael, and the tribes of Midian, the Midianites. Then it says, and what was given to Moses, because these were pre-written tablets and given to him, as opposed to the coming down like this inspiration that came to Muhammad. And what was given to Jesus. And they were written, received by John, son of Zebedee, the book of Revelation, and then given to Jesus. That's why it used the word given. Then it says, and what was what? Given to the prophets from their sustainers. This is the key. We have covered the major prophets that we're talking about here. We're covering everybody from Abraham to Muhammad. You understand? And all those books in between would be inclusive, which would include the Sabor of Daud and his father Suleiman, the word Nebiuna. If we go back to Genesis of the Bible, we'll find that Noah had sons. And from Noah's son came Cush and a man named Mizraim. Mizraim was where they get the word Mizraim, which is the Arabic equivalent to the Hebrew Mizraim for Egypt today. Mm -hmm. Egyptos, we know, is a Greek word meaning burnt or black faces. That don't belong there. All right? So the descendants of Noah, who was a prophet and who received revelation and who also had the books of the Sahuk, of Enoch and Adam and Abraham and Seth mm -hmm. took their books and went into Egypt with them way before the writing of Unkenantin Psalms. Now, those Egyptians are of the family of Noah. And the scripture says, Noah was perfect in his generation and the Lord found favor in him and his seed. You see? So the Egyptians that are writing these Psalms and Proverbs like Unkin Unkin and them, they were part of the Nebuchadnezzar. They were prophets. And just like there's things in the Quran that match what's in the Torah, and there's things in the New Testament that match what's in the Old Testament, and there's things in the Psalm that match what's in the Torah and the New Testament, Old Testament and the New Testament, the writings that came out of Egypt will match what Moses said because Moses was influenced by the Egyptians, educated by the Egyptians, and brought the same information that came from the Sahuk, which was the Sahuk of the descendants of Mizraim, who were descendants of Noah, and under the same covenant of Abraham from the same creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those are the books of the prophets that they're talking about here. And those were sacred scriptures that was in Egypt. So Moses did use portions of them as well as have his own revelation. Because in that case, everything he received would have to come from that one tablet. And it didn't. Portions of that tablet are found in the five books of Moses the same way portions of the Torah and the Injil are found in the Quran. So there is no difference. It's the same, tell Dr. Ben, it's the same family. They are all Noah's descendants. It's the same book. The Egyptian pharaohs who believed in Tawhid, which is the unification of Allah's deity, oneness, were prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they're the same one.
That's why the Pharaoh, as they call the Pharaoh in the Quran, converted to Islam as opposed to the way it was left unexplained in the Torah. Okay? Okay, I can understand that. I, I, I can relate to that. Uh, it's one more question, and then I'm just going to sit down. Um, <clears throat> this, this lost books of the Bible and forgotten books of Eden, I don't understand why they were left out of the Bible or the Torah. All right, let me go again. <laughs> Come on. This is, don't go nowhere. I might need you. <laughs> All right. Here's why. What happens again is here we are in New York City, United States of America, looking at King James versions of the Bible. When the Quran was revealed to Muhammad, alayhi salatu wasalam, there was no such thing as the Bible you hold in your hand. You see? There was no such thing as King There was no such thing as a Bible that you hold in your hand. A King James version of the Bible. The Bibles that they had back in his time was the Catholic Bible. If you go to a Catholic Bible today, you'll find it has more than 66 books in it. They have other books, the books of Maccabean, etc. If you go back to the ancient Torah, they had even more books. What I'm trying to say is that there are many books written by many saints who are not necessarily prophets. But getting, go ahead. Just, just interrupt you for one second. I mean, I got all the stories of Adam and Eve that I never even read in the Bible. I mean, right. their journeys, their, uh, their sins, they did more sins. That's right. More things written by. Why was, that, why was that excluded from the because, Torah? Because the Torah, the word Torah means Pentateuch. Or law, right? No. Yeah. But it refers to, it means Allah in Hebrew law. But refers to Pentateuch, which comes from Penta, which means five. The law of Moses was no more than the first five books. That was the law. All those other books are books of other prophets. Some of them, certain sects of Jews accepted, and some of them they didn't. The same way today in Islam, you have Shiaism and Sunnism. Sunnis accept certain hadith, and Shia accept other hadith, and they're both about the same man, Muhammad. Now, in later times, here we come with another sect called the Ahmadiyya. And they pick and choose from both Sunni and Shia hadith and create their own school of thought. So you get all these schools of thought. Now, as time passes on, certain people have more books that they believe in of the hadith than others. The only text that is authentic in this case is the Quran. The only text that is authentic in that case is the five books of Moses. All these other books are books of other prophets. Depending on the schools of thought of the rabbis, they decided which books they would and which books they didn't. You're in one country that has been invaded by a certain kind of Jew and a certain kind of Christian, so you're subject to go by their selection of the book. So you hold up the King James Version with its 66 books and say, where did these other books go? If you was in the Jerusalem there and you held up the Jerusalem Bible, it would have other books. If you was amongst the Russian Orthodox Christians, they would have other books written by saints that they knew and monks that they knew. You yeah, know what I'm saying? I do understand to a degree, but what I'm saying is, is that this is Genesis. I mean, if you're going to write about Adam and Eve, why would they exclude the whole thing of Adam and Eve from, from, uh, they didn't. from the trend? They didn't. What is true about Adam and Eve is found in the Torah. Scholars and rabbis wrote their own part and called them other scriptures. 
What is true is the five books of Moses. That's what he received, and all of them recognize that, and the 613 commandments. So this book in my hand is not... It's not no, it's writings of men. So this, this is like a deep. That's exactly what it is. Okay. <laughs> exactly. All right, all right, and okay. you'll have to decide how much of it you want to accept, or when you go by the vein of it all, which is the Torah. Or do you go by, as I say, the vein of Islam, which is the Quran? Or do you listen to a whole bunch of men who want to be like Allah, who want to be like the prophet, and they start opinionating on his life, and they exaggerate it? They want to make every prophecy in the New Testament fit the Old Testament. And now the Muslims come along, and they want to make everything Jesus did look like what Muhammad did. So they start writing miracles and stuff that don't even make sense in, my, in scientific sense, terms or in common sense, just to make Muhammad look as great as Jesus. And they wanted to make Jesus the greatest of all, so they took every prophecy in the Torah they could and made it match him. You know what I'm saying? This is the workings of men. And we're supposed to be able to work our way around them. <laughs> Thank you very much. So come. Awesome. Asalaamu As Alaikum. Uh, I have a statement, and I guess it's a question too, but... um. What I want to know is, when I first came in, we were talking about the Nubians, and um, I noticed that a lot of times when we talk, we talk about how black people is the majority of people all over the whole planet, and that um, this group of black people, okay, like Orientals and, and Spanish people and black people, we're all black people, we're all Nubians. Um, and I don't have any problems with that, but what... What bothers me sometimes is how when people talk about all the different races of Nubians and they put, a, put us all together, how to me it seems like black Americans get neglected. You know, they get like lost in the shuffle. And I notice how some black people try to make other Nubians um, worse off than black Americans. And I don't feel that way, and I don't... Let me ask you a question. Okay. You don't think Spanish Harlem is, is in a bad condition as Upper Harlem? That's not what I'm saying. Just ask the question. Do you think that the Latino brothers in this country and sisters are getting treated as bad as we are? Yes. How about the new stock of Orientals? Not the Koreans, who they've given stores to. I'm talking about in Chinatown, where they now have gangs and ghettos and, and, and derelicts. See, what I'm saying, I don't have any problems with any of that. Okay. I, I can relate to all, <laughs> all of that, right, you know. But the point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes when black people push it away from black Americans and they start talking about other black nationalities, they seem to forget about their own problem. And I think that the problem of black Americans needs to be dealt with First, well, listen to this. Before that, you could really let me let me let me let me add something. Okay. In Mother Africa, as it's called by people, I hate to use the word Africa because they're not Africans; they're Nubians. But people won't know who you're talking about if you don't say Africa. Right. Okay. But in Mother Africa, like Ethiopia, their conditions are worse than mine and yours, mm -hmm. and they are us. Right. In Sudan, they're suffering droughts. Their conditions are worse than ours. Right. Right. So, in reality. Shouldn't we put attention on helping them? They're in a worse condition than we are and then get to ourselves? I'm just asking. Just a question. Okay. I just feel like we need to help ourselves first before we try to help anybody else. But that is ourselves. Those are our, that's, that's, yeah, that's Mother Africa. That is ourselves. And if your roots die, 
then the whole tree dies. I, and I agree with that. But if we don't help ourselves first, then how are we going to be able to help somebody else? Because we have two pieces of bread right now, and they have none. So if we just give them one, we both will raise up to the same level and then make the working force stronger to move to the third level. But if we eat both pieces of bread so we'll get strong enough to help them, masses of them in the millions will be dead. And they'll never be there when we come back to help them. They're dying, literally, of starvation on the streets in Ethiopia, in Somali, in uh, Sudan. People are dying of starvation. By the time we get out of together, and you will probably know already, they like the white man, they like working for him, they like the way he treats them. It's going to take time to shape this whole thing. You know how many brothers and sisters in Mother Africa are going to die this year while we're getting it together? So being me and you are healthy, and our brain works, and we have two slices of bread, I say let's share one slice of bread and bring our brothers who are dying to a point where they won't die at least, because the South African condition is just going to get worse. I think that we need to make a, some concentrated effort to do something about the conditions of the people in the Sudan from which we came as Nubians before we let them die. The white man will let our mother country die. If all of then go in, bring Christianity, and then you won't be any good to the people over there. So if you try to go to Africa and convert an African back to Islam after he accepted Christianity, you like talking to a brick wall. Because the white man brought with him the Red Cross and food. He didn't bring no machinery so they can become independent. He brought grain and rice and beans and clothes and the Bible and a white Jesus. And that man starts to look like their savior. Though he saves them in one respect, he murders them in the next. But he's doing the same thing to us over here. And if we can't get it together over here first, how will we be able to see those pitfalls over there to help anyone over there? Right, I just don't right. understand how we are going to be able to help Okay, I'll tell you how. By joining together and working together. We in the Ansarlar community, have you seen our latest newspaper? You can see what we're doing on the inside. Right. We are building. So we don't consider ourselves as doing bad. Or our problem is convincing more of our own with qualifications to come. We need our own gynecologists, dermatologists, ophthalmologists, pediatricians. We need our own shoemakers, hat makers, tailors, seamstress. We need our own everything. But black people rather be on the outside of a of a working community and talk about what they heard take place in here than to come in here and find out for themselves and help us build. They'd rather go to some dude named Abdul from Queens who says, I used to be there, and I heard they do this, and I heard they do that, and he still lives in the project. Right. And then he's still on welfare. But they won't come on the inside of here and work out with us. And so, because the more y'all come in, the stronger we get. The more you bring in, the more we have to produce. And the more black people we reach. But as long as you're on the outside looking in, you can't see the power of the Ansar law growing. Because we're spending so much time trying to get y'all to come in and join that we, y'all are not seeing what we have here. We are, very, we are a very advanced community. I mean, from computer technology straight on out. Don't you see the books coming out like bam, yeah. bam, bam. How sophisticated, how do they look? Yeah, they look good. But see, that's the exact point that I'm making. Well, you know, yeah. I can see the Ansars doing it from the inside out uh-huh. and how you're trying to bring everybody in. And um, I'm coming across the same type of problem when I'm out in the community trying to talk to other people about the well, come on home and let me do the talking. I talk better than you. 
Yeah, you do. You do. Let me do it. Come on home and help me from the inside by typing some of these books and laying out these things and making these black kids so they don't get that, you know what you saw on television earlier? So they don't get that image of white supremacy in their mind. And let me, I obviously was raised up to do the talking. But one thing I do good is talk. <laughs> I, I, give that to, I give that to you, Imam Easter, but you can't be everywhere at one time. I can be everywhere at one time. That's why they have international media. That's why right now, while I'm talking here, they're listening to me in Philadelphia and in Chicago and in Trinidad and in Barbados and all over the world because we can do that now. And the bigger we get, then eventually we will satellite it. And not only will they be listening to me, they'll be looking at me and they'll be able to ask questions at one time. And then when I step down, I got five grown sons all speaking Arabic ready to come in. I'm not alone. I'm not going to make the same mistake other leaders make. I'm grooming my sons to step in where I step down. You follow? And they are sharper than I am. So if they think they got a problem with me, they ain't seen nothing yet. Okay? Okay. But my thing is, my people won't support me. The people wrote a book about me and created a bunch of lies, and I answered the book, and you still didn't come home. Still on the outside talking in. They said, he did this, he does this, he did this, he was born here, I know the truth, I know this. I said, well, here, here's facts, here's the proof, here's pictures, here's dates, here's mathematics, here's the quote. And you're still outside saying, one day I'm coming in. What do I have to do to make you realize it? So you know the next thing I'm doing? I'm writing a book. And it's called 360 Questions to Ask an Orthodox Sunni Muslim. It has about 900 questions in it or more. But we say, we say 360. You know why? Why? Because I'm saying to you people now, if you don't believe that I am the one that Allah has raised up from the east unto the west to reform you, then take this book out there and ask anybody to answer these questions. And when they can't, and they can't, okay. then I will. And then if you still don't join in, then you deserve whatever the white man does to you. Okay. If after this book gets out there and you start asking their white Arab friends and their red Arab friends, what is this and where is this and how is this? And they say, I don't know. And the only thing they're going to say is, he's crazy, he's anti-Islam, he's not a Muslim. He say, yeah, beside all that, answer this question. Right. Okay. So now, Imam Issa, all right, like for example, right now you're talking to me and you're talking to this group of people that's here and um, all those other places that you just named. But when we all leave from here, and when this here um, finishes being broadcasted or whatever, and you get into individual conversations with people that have never stepped foot over here, don't know what an Antar community is, don't understand their blackness, don't want to relate to Africa, don't want to relate to Islam, don't even want to relate to the fact that they're black, period, you know, and they think that they're better than some of the other black brothers and sisters you know, and you are not there, right? right? But listen to and this. I have to talk to these yeah, people. Yeah, but you don't have to do that. You know why? Because right. if you were here and 100,000 more of you were here, we would intimidate the white man so much that he'll start telling Uncle Remus and then how he really feels about them. The problem is there's still somebody for the white man to reason with and to talk to. There's still Negroes still going to lunch with him and hanging out with him. If everybody was in here and this, this community would start to span across Bushwick, on down to Bedford Stuyvesant, and they'd be seeing white veils and white robes and us moving and patrolling all over the place, our own businesses, then those black people out there will become the object of the joke. The white man will turn on them because of you, because that's what they need. They need to turn around one day and see the white man for what he really is. They're afraid to because they got a job. 
You understand? Me and you got to do that by becoming so such a strong force that everywhere they look, they see one of us. Mm-hmm. And then when they see a Negro who don't look like one of us, he wants to ask them, then what are you? Mm-hmm. Why haven't you woken up? Everybody else is awoke. Right, right. That's the only way to do it. I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. There's that sister across the se- across town now in the Albany Project sitting on the second floor and saying, oh, I ain't getting caught up in all that old black stuff. Yeah. She will have no choice when we are providing food, clothes, shelter, and as Honorable Elijah Muhammad so clearly put it, which will breed love, peace, and happiness. When they see a healthy community for their kids. We have Arabic classes now here for people on the outside. Sisters come here and bring their kids. Right. Right? Right. We are building the nation from the inside and the out now. There is no more excuses. Okay, I'm not making excuses. No, no, not you. Not you. I'm talking about those people out there. They have no excuses. The gates are open. You understand? You can be outside and participate inside. Study your Arabic. Bring your sister, your your kids here. Bring your wives here. Sisters, teach them Arabic. It's all laid out for you. Now, if they don't respond, lakum, dinukum. To them be their judgment and us be ours. Because then we're entitled to get what the white man gives us. And we don't see this opportunity. Anybody can see is what the Ansar Law community is doing in working. Because I was impressed this morning because I listened to a sister who came in the mic. I think she's the first sister. You know what was most impressive about what she was doing? She kept saying the Amorite, the Amorite. She wasn't saying the white man. And the white man hears her in college saying the Amorite, the Amorite. You know what he says? Uh Mm Uh-oh. They know who we are now. We're no longer lily white and pure and clean like Mr. Clean. We are the Amorite. Mm -hmm. Then she'll start saying the Canaanite, the Canaanite. And Mm -hmm. he'll say, she even knows we have the curse. Mm -hmm. That means Ansar Law is moving. Mm -hmm. The Nubian nation is on the move. What does Adam look like, y'all? What does Isaac look like? Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, you. We're on the move. Our flag is flying high. We're doing good. All we got to do is come together and work outward like a nucleus and keep multiplying themselves. And like the, like the brother said, and there ain't in, in plain, simple black language, and there ain't no stopping us now. All right. Right. You done blew. You took too long. You were so busy worrying about my brother, Minister Louis Farrakhan, and how to stop him. And you were so busy worrying about my friend in Florida, Yahweh Ben Yahweh, and imprisoning him. You overlooked the real one. That's why they said he's going to come like a thief in the night. Right. I was here all the time when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was here, just waiting my turn. Right. I was just sitting in the wings, waiting the shot, waiting for the day. And now, the day has come. Truth has arrived. All things will perish. The reformer is here. Not is coming. Is here. And I will reform. And the first means of reformation is to get those white images out your head and get the dignity and the identity of a supreme being back in there. So you walk straight up, no state and proud to be who you are. Get your garbs on, women. If you ain't going to put your veil on, put a long skirt on. Cover your bodies up. Get ready. Start to read Arabic. Start to get it. Forget them African study courses. Because ain't no much them Uncle Tom in most cases got a white wife, like the sister said. The guy in charge of the African organizational club got a white girlfriend. Still love the white man. 
They can't break away from the slave master. He's one pushing the crumbs off the table on the floor for them to eat. That's what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught. But no, 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 no. You know how, the, you know how he said, come forth, Lazarus. You were in a tomb. Rigor mortis had already set in, brothers and sisters. You have been mentally dead for a long time. And I'm saying to you, like Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus. And I ask the Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to give me the strength to resurrect you from the mental dead. Come forth, Lazarus. Come to life everlasting. Join amongst your own and build the Nubian nation. Then we have the option to either go home or make this our home because it doesn't belong to either me or the white man. It belongs to the Indians. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I understand what you're saying. But we can't can't let them make us get discouraged and stop believing because without faith, there's no hope. And I see, and I know you see, when you walk the streets, you see people impending. And now we got jackets out. We're trying to put anything out to keep the name going across. And with the name Nubian Nation, Nubian Nation, they're like the brother standing, a couple of people got the flag with the unk. He got a couple of symbols on his chest. But in the midst of there is that flag, black, red, and green. And I'm not saying red, black, and green. We didn't make no mistake. We didn't say red, black, and green. We're saying black, red, and green. And you see people say, we're not wearing no doggone Jamaican flag. So take off the yellow and the green because that was given to you by the white man. We're wearing black, red, and green. And the reason why black is first and not red is because the red on the flag symbolizes blood. We do not, I repeat, we do not intend to bleed again. So we have removed the black and put the black first and put the red second. But you will not do to us what you've done Now, let me go back and make something clear. Do you know that when brothers join into Sunni Islam, that they're back in the slave trade? See, it was the Arabs that sold you into slavery. So now, if some brother in America accepts money from one of those organizations, money for blacks in America, he is now becoming John Hawkins. He is receiving money to sell you back under their rule. So you can back their philosophy on Islam. Don't you see that if the brother Bilal Philip gets paid to try to make us unite with them, it's another form of the slave, the Arab slave trade. If the brother Siraj Wahaj is trying to get money to build a mosque on Bedford, then they're going to send into them their kind of teachers with their kind of doctrine, and they're going to be back in an Arab slave trade. Now, okay, we all got to pray that Minister Louis Farrakhan does not get tempted by that beast and fall victim to, fall victim to him. Mm-hmm. And also, keep praying for me. Mm-hmm. That they don't also get me. I'm not saying that he's no weaker than I am or no stronger than I am. The devil is busy. Mm-hmm. I have no intention of talking to him. So it's going to be real difficult for him to convince me to do anything. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to their meetings. I don't want to meet them. I don't want them to ask me for nothing. And I don't want nothing from them. You can be assured, I'm going to say, get lost. Mm-hmm. Y'all got people worshiping the Kaaba and adoring the Kaaba and kissing the black stone and throwing rocks at brick figures and saying that they're killed, throwing rocks at the devil. Ain't no more religion of Abraham over there. You got the religion of the pagan Arabs there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to adhere to that. And they said the sun will rise in the west. You are the sun. 
you are rising in the West. You may not speak Arabic well, but you know what the prophecy said? Hear and obey, even if a man is an Ethiopian. And Ethiopians were not speaking Arabic. You are the Savior. You are the body of Christ. You understand? This may sound like what, what word of D. Muhammad said. He said it, but he didn't understand it because he wasn't listening to his father. You are the body of the Christ. You are the resurrection. You are the truth. You are the light. You understand that? And all you got to do is get prepared like a bride for the groom and the Messiah will return for you. That's all you have to do is get prepared. Get in your bride's gown. And the women... Even in Christianity, they told you when you get married to put on a veil. Mm -hmm. They don't know nothing about the veil except for when they come to marriage, then they throw on a little veil mm -hmm. and say it represents purity and virginity. Well, it also represents what's sent in the book of Revelation where Jesus said the, the end of the world is like the marriage supper of the Lamb. You read that before? It said you got to be prepared like a bride, preparing yourself for that. Well, that veil is part of it. I know you're pretty. I know you don't want to cover your face, but covering your face is unveiling your heart. You understand that? And what I mean by covering your face is unveiling your heart. That means when you cover your face, people have to judge you by your heart, not by your look. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew what he was talking about and knew what he was doing. Cover your face and unveil your heart. Because an uncovered face and a sealed heart is the works of the devil. Um, another question I have, um, Chief Black Eagle, is a lot of people are saying that one day we're Native Americans, one day we're Muslims, one day we're Christians, one day we're Jews, and a lot of people are saying they're being left behind as far as the doctrine is concerned. What, what is your explanation to that? Well, it changes. Because what I was trying to tell them is anything that's real is alive, it's growing and changing. Anything that's standing still is dead, right? What happens in our organization is what I was trying to do from day one is cover everything that has poisoned our people. Everything from Christianity to Islam to Judaism to Egyptology to Samaritanism, anything that... What do they mean by the prophet? You know, all that I just said in your mind first. Yeah? And know how they wore us and who she is who's riding that piece and what is our most powerful asset, which is must? You with me? And whether you, you are a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew, it doesn't make a difference whether you're calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or you're calling on Theos or Kyrios, you're calling on Yeshua or Elohim. It doesn't make a difference. But all their names fall short of the most high Ilium. You understand? You know the name of the God that Jesus Christ himself prayed to. You do know Jesus went to God. When Jesus prostrated his face while his disciples fell asleep, and he said, Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Say not if I will, but now. The angel was singing the shorts. So Jesus was ready. He ready to face him. Well, 
It's not to die. God ain't gave you anything else. I ain't made the blind sea. I ain't made the triple wall. I ain't multiplied the fishes and the loaves. I send it in front of you. You know? I did it all. I transfigured and transformed myself for you. I brought back Moses and Elijah for you to see. I did everything to tell you that there is a life after this life. That you have no reason to fear the sting of death. No reason to fear it. Because this is just a transportation stage to another, back to the bosom of God. But first of all and foremost, you've got to be pleased. you got to put on an incorruptible spirit. Now, I didn't say you got to put on a coat. I said you got to put on an incorruptible spirit. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What does it mean? It means that nothing can corrupt your spirit again. Now, when the devil comes in any form, in any fashion, with any kind of temptation, what do you say? Get me hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall serve the Lord thy God, and him alone shall he serve. And Satan will back up from a praying man or woman. He'll go right up to the Atlanta or New York, and you'll find them in the clubs. They call it a club, but this is what happens to you in here. <laughs> <laughs> they beat you on your brain with music. That's why I call it a club. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it asks you to become unto <laughs> wash your robes in the blood of the land. That knowledge if someone died for you. That that person was a son of God, a Yahweh, a Hurios in Greek. He was not the God, but the son of God. And he had the power not to die as the son of God. But he took on the flesh so that he could suffer the way you would suffer. And feel the pain that you would feel. So he can die for you. And you can feel it as he's dying. And then resurrect to say, see? The sting of death was sin. The fact that you're afraid to die proves you're a sinner. Verse mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Corinthians chapter 15. Well, if you were living by the letter of the Lord, if you were living by the commandments and statutes of God, you would not be afraid to die. You see, the Pope keeps trying to live. Yes, <laughs> 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 The Pope is trying to live. He got a battle on his bulletproof. <laughs> <laughs> he drives through the city inside a glass bulletproof cage going. <laughs> you, know, just, you can't shoot me now. You can't shoot me now. <laughs> and then says that he's an intercessor for God on earth. Farrakhan walks around with a bunch of bodyguards. Okay. They're on the stage on Farrakhan in direct contact with Allah. And uh, let me talk to y'all about five hours about nothing. 
still doing what we want to do and doing better than we even thought. Because of the pressure you put on us, you don't know when you get a nigga that everybody gets stronger. <laughs> y'all shouldn't have grabbed us in no headlock. We never would have got this far, y'all. Let us mold you along. You know how we are. We uh, I guess we're pretty proud of you, man. I guess you know how we are. But if you make a loud noise, oh shit, let's go, man. You can slip again. Run for fun. Okay. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. When John, <laughs> son of Zebedee, the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, looked at New York City, the great Babylon, the great Thomas, with all the pornography and nudity and music and colors and every kind of restaurant and every kind of bug and every kind of disease and every kind of clothes and all kind of fancy cars and all kind of funny looking people with arms and sprinkles and pins and feathers and hooks and nails and tattoos and tails and fangs and claws and walls and bars. Right. Man, New York is everything. It was all so right that what happened to him? We didn't get it. Y'all send me crazy. Don't blame me. I was my grandmother's good old boy and y'all send me crazy. Now I'm doing my father's work. What up? We didn't get it. And when I saw her, I wanted it. And when John saw her, he wanted it with great admiration. He looked at the hole and said, He said, if I wasn't John, I'll tell you, she must have been real blind, right? John is standing there with an angel standing next to him, a warm angel, and John still went. And now, listen to what the angel has to say to John. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore dost thou marvel? What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Where's your mind just go, John? Read it again, dear. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? He, the angel saw in John's eyes. Yes. And John was like this. Well, the angel was like, Look. Wake up. Where did your mind just go, John? Let's see if John answers you. And that tells me the mystery of no, we did it. The angel jumped on. John, I'm going to show you how to John did not answer. The angel said, let me tell you the mystery of this great heart. Let me tell you the secret about her, John. Now you read it. Go on I will tell thee the mystery of a woman and of the beast that carries her. Not only her, but the beast that she is on. What does he say about it? We talk to seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads and ten horns. Speaking of seven nations and kingdoms, I list them in here. United States, England, Russia, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. Ten horns. England, France, Spain, Germany, Russia, Hungary, Italy, Greece, Turkey, and the U.S. today. Those are the countries that are ruling the world. Seven and ten, and the Holland is ruling them. And they're ruling us. 
because they have us lusting after their life, lusting after their image, wanting to be in the image of the beast, wanting to live deliciously in her, wanting too much wealth, too much power, too much of everything until our desires are leading us to much suffering. We want more than we need. Right? That's not what we said. We said, give us each day our bread. That's all. Just enough to get through from day to day. No, but we're trying to stack up things. Things that rust and spoil the Bible says. Go ahead, sister. I'll be on me. Go ahead. Okay. The beast that thou seest was and is not. Ah, this beast that you're looking at was and is not. You see that? You know what that means? There was an old Babylon. It does not exist no more. Next, third, next line. It shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. It's going to come up again out of the bottomless pit. Good. And go into perdition. Remember the bottomless pit. Because the bottomless pit is where the bomb is going to hit. Okay, go ahead. It says, and go into prediction, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. Where? Whose name were not? These people are going to wonder. A certain group of people are going to wonder because their names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Because they are the devil's children. We gave birth to some of them. They have our blood in their veins. But they don't think scripture. They think party. They think fun. They think boys. They think girls. They think all this good time, all this wealth, all the things. I want to be a singer. I want to be a model. I want to be a dancer. They want to be a whole lot of things. But they don't want to be a child of God. Because they don't want to be a child of God. Their name has never been mentioned in the book of life. They walk in and talk in with you every day, and then a devil sees you. Ain't that something that you feel as good as you are? Your daughter might be a devil, and we have it in your house. I mean, come to every family reunion and just embarrass everybody because she has to have her pants all up in her butt. <laughs> Nobody can't tell her nothing. Well, she's going to go off and somebody's going to have to cut her head to the white <laughs> That's how they get. They get all religious. But see, you know they're the devil's children because the devil has put a protection on them. You know what that protection is? Don't take this fist and mash them in their face. If you do, I'll lock you up. If they do wrong, violate the, the laws of your house, if you beat them, they'll arrest you. The devil protects the devil. You know what I say? Chase them to the streets. Tell them on to let them know. Let them all join their kind. But they'll find when they get there, there's more ferocious devils than them. They ain't seen no hoes to meet some real hoes. <laughs> They're little synthetic hoes. <laughs> little, little 
they go to heaven. They never was born to even make it. You hear me? Hey. When they behold, the beast that, is, that was and is not, is and yet is. Stop. Before they didn't add, they yet is. Was, old Babylon, is not destroyed. They bounced the pit and yet is. We're back in it again. There's a new Babylon, a new Sodom and Gomorrah. New temptation, more sophisticated than we ever imagined. When I was a little boy, when we had a gun, I think I said this before, nothing on it moved. <laughs> I don't think y'all heard me. Nothing on it moved. It was shaped like a gun, and everything was all imagination. Now they got toys where they put bullets in them and smoke comes out of them and things come out of them. Who's doing that? Who's teaching them this? With all imagination. Now, the devil's in control of your mind. His temptations are way out there. And you can have cyber sex. You can have sex with somebody in Australia on your computer. The devil has made a way. He said, if you won't come out here, I'll go in there and get you. I'm going to drive you out of the church. It was the last thing I do. Then he said, can't you go on a computer and have a sex thing? Huh? Oh, what do they call those lines? How you know that? <laughs> well, uh, I ain't gonna say nothing, but I know that she is going. I don't want to be a part of it. But I hope the Lord kills you. <laughs> and here is the mind which helps with wisdom. Here is the mind that has wisdom. Don't that sound familiar? Don't that sound like there's the end of him that wisdom that counts the number of the beast because it is the number of a man and his number is six. Six. <laughs> That's in the image, not the likeness of God, that is also eternal. You hear me? Then there must be a kind of man that's not eternal, that must go with the rest of the animals. And they move out the way for thousands and thousands of years. They stepped aside while the God stood there. And they watched different people, different races, Fade away. There are whole races of people that they can't find no more. Ain't that what they teach? The whole race just disappeared. But nine evil woolly-haired beings have been existing pre-Egypt, pre-China, pre-Mesopotamia, pre-Chaldea, Sumeria. They existed. Them big noses have been here. And Nappy here has been here. Them big lips have been here while other races are transient. And if man is in the image and after the likeness of God, then there must be some man, God, 
walking the earth who will be permanent because they are the mothers and fathers of all other human beings. And that Bible says, honor thy mother and father that you're as long as they honor their mothers and fathers and respect Africa, the source of all life, they'll, not, they'll live on. But they have stopped doing that. And we have become compliant by accepting religion. Be it Christianity, Judaism, Islam, or snow cone worship. It makes us compliant. You follow that? It makes us cooperate. It renders us civilized, civil, controlled, imprisoned, confined, tamed, when we're not civilized at all. We, as his story will tell, are the civilized. And when he, in his story, seeks to find out my story, he ends up with a mystery. I can tell him everything he ever did in the course of time. Every monument that he ever built, I see how he did whether it's the World Trade Center or the faces on Stone Mountain, we know how you did it. Or the great cathedrals or the great mosques, synagogues or churches from Spain straight on across to China from the Great Wall of China. We see how you did it. But you don't know how we did the things we did. You don't know how we built the permit, and they spend billions of dollars and thousands of expeditions going over there, and they come up with all kinds of conclusions. Well, I think they put them on sticks and they rolled them. There was no trees <laughs> thick enough. Well, um, they must have built these big ramps with bricks and then pulled them up. The ramp would have to be bigger than the permit. Where did they discard all those rocks? Well, heck, it's a mystery. No, it's not a mystery. It's my story. It's only a mystery to you. It's my story to me. And then there's history, which has nothing to do with history. But in history, you get your story. And as I trace your story back, I start finding some weird things like wolves. <laughs> Romanus and Venus. So they would have well up. The Romans are responsible for the Catholic religion. Roman Catholic. Right? Very? Alright. Now, the Romans are the Italians. Correct? And they say they came from a she-wolf who raised two brothers, two twins, and one killed the other. That's as far as you go back to a jackal. But scientists say men go back to monkeys. Correct? And there's basically four different types of monkeys discussed this today. There is the orangutan, chimpanzee, the gorilla, and uh, baboon. The gibbon belongs to the family of men. The baboon. They're called the uh, simian. With me? 
Now, a baboon, if you look at his mane, is a replica of a dog. So some man on the planet, Paulus, came down from a dog. And that dog, or that baboon, is very aggressive. He's carnivorous. He's a killer. He goes around and stalks schools and shoots innocent people. He drags people on the back of cars. It's in his nature to kill. Because that's his seed, his root seed. Then there is the chimpanzee. He's silly. Playful. And a lot of silly playfulness. Then there's the orangutan, he's extremely intelligent. There's a lot of intelligence. Then there's the gorilla. He's also carnivorous and violent and big and hairy. He got hair on his back on the beach, on his shoulder on the beach, behind his knee on the beach. And it makes you kind of wonder sometimes on the beach when they walk by. You know, nobody in my family got hair on the back of their legs. I mean, we've been moving on this evolutionary path for a long time. Back of the leg is kind of deep. <laughs> we should have been a lot further than that, unless there are different species of human beings. Some are more carnivorous, violent, destructive, and others are more docile and intelligent. The more intelligent ones may have built pyramids. Um, one of them, like, 
how do you really feel about the Nation of Islam under Minister Louis Farrakhan? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Bismillahi ar-Rahmani ar-Rahim. Begin all things with the illustrious name of Allah, the most merciful. I'm glad I finally got down to us. To someone asking me this question directly so it's not misinterpreted and misunderstood. As far as the nation of Islam, as the followers of our great leader, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, I feel that it was the best thing that has ever happened to the black man in America and eventually the whole world. When me and Minister Louis Farrakhan, who are now presently in dialogue, can come together as brothers for the betterment of our people. I feel that the work that Honorable Elijah Muhammad did, may Allah be very pleased with him, over all of these years was for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was the upliftment of a dormant yet great nation of people whom he referred to as the tribe of Shabazz, the lost but now found. And I refer to as Ishmaelites. When they say Shabazz and I say Ishmaelites, we're saying the same thing. Both times it's referring to the same nation who are the gods of the planet Earth. I feel that Minister Louis Farrakhan has been betrayed many times. What do you mean when you say Minister Louis Farrakhan is being betrayed? For instance, I remember a tape when Minister Louis Farrakhan came back from Mecca from Hajj, and he was very happy that he encountered a young American Muslim who was a student of Arabic. And he opened his arms, remember the size of the nation of Islam, and the position of Minister Louis Farrakhan, as opposed to some everyday, run-of-the-mill, typical American Sunni Muslim. So Minister Louis Farrakhan opened his arms to this young man while in Mecca, and the young man opened his arms to Minister Louis Farrakhan only to get back to America and get brainwashed by Negro servants of so-called pale Arabs, and then the same brother turned around and badmouthed minister to his Farrakhan. I think these things are dangerous. And I think that is a form of betrayal of your own people, the same way that Judas betrayed Jesus. If you really feel this way about the brother minister Louis Farrakhan, how come you and him never get together? Well, actually, me and minister Louis Farrakhan are in dialogue, come together on the things that we can agree on, and we're not even going to look for each other's faults or shortcomings. For as mortals, we both can have them. We're not going to give the so-called pale Arabs, which I call them, and which my beloved brother refers to as the scholars, the benefit of seeing two great black leaders versus each other. And Thus, pull out of history two more faces. Meaning, if I don't teach my children to respect the picture 
of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the minister Sulus Farrakhan doesn't teach his followers to recognize El Imam Isa al Hadi and Imam Muhammad Ahmed al Masjid of Sudan. What happens is four more black men disappear out of history while the white man is continuing to stamp Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and all the rest of his followers in our kids' minds in textbooks in the form of his education system. I'm saying that presently, the Nation of Islam and the Ansar Law community, like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad that's put on the front of Muhammad's feet, when he showed brothers in both sides on one side and brothers in white robes on the other side shaking hands, that me and the Minister Louis Farrakhan are starting to shake hands. And we are together going to up to raise the nation that the man we both love and respect, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, was trying to do. They're out seeking for a leader for the black man in America, and Honorable Elijah Muhammad was that leader. They just don't want to recognize him because white Arabs won't let them. And let me tell you what I feel about these pale Arabs. Like Minister Louis Farrakhan, I heard him in the speech, he's not concerned with white Arabs or scholars telling us who our leaders are, what we should educate our children with, how we should educate our children, when we should educate. 40 years ago, or way back in 1930s, when the nation of Islam was being born, hell, Arabs were still living in the desert bush and was ignorant of their own teachings while teachings about the original black man being the Asiatic black man maker, owner, and people of the planet Earth was being taught to the lost brown America. Now, if I sound like I'm in the nation of Islam, I, am, I was never a follower as a student enrolled in the nation of Islam like many Sunni Muslims fabricate. But I would be honored to follow a man as great as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad after having traveled the Muslim world extensively and see how Muslims in Egypt, Sudan, and all other parts of the world can't unite blacks in their own countries. Right in Sudan, there's many different black tribes. And the only one that could unite them was Muhammad Ahmed al-Masjid, After him, all kind of confusion. So for a man to be able to unite black men from all walks of life under one banner, he is a great man. And that great man is Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And if Minister Louis Farrakhan is walking in the footsteps of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, then I am going to respect him. And I won't turn against or betray my brother, Minister Louis Farrakhan, for any Arab coming from Saudi, Pakistan, or any place else. Because blood is thicker than water. Savior's Day. I won't be out there physically, but I will be out there spiritually. And the day will come when me and Minister Louis Farrakhan will sit down for you people physically, not to debate, not to verse each other. The only thing you just do is shake and embrace in the name of Allah, the one creator. And as the leaders of two great tribes who are of one family, Abraham, you see, love, unity, honorable Elijah Muhammad said, will be working together for freedom, justice, and equality in order to have love, peace, and happiness. And I will do all I can to help the minister Louis Farrakhan in his program, and I would hope 
that he will do all he can to help me in my program, and together our children will be one nation. What do you think about Wallace D. Muhammad as a leader of the Nation of Islam? I don't think that Wallace D. Muhammad was ever supposed to be the leader of the Nation of Islam. He didn't have the fire. He didn't have the water. He didn't even have the air to create the elements necessary to have a second resurrection. When, when Jesus the Messiah spoke about a second resurrection, he spoke about bringing a Lazarus who was dead back to life. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad oftentimes referred to the nation of black people in America as Lazarus. And that they were mentally dead. When Wallace B. Muhammad took leadership, the nation of Islam wasn't by far in a dead state. They was well awoke and well aware of who they are and who the devil is and what their goals and purposes were supposed to be. They didn't need somebody to come along and take the women out of their long dresses and take the men out of their FOI uniforms and shift the discipline and sell them over to pale Arabs for a small price. They didn't need this. So I feel that Wallace D. Muhammad is an intelligent young man in his own way and could have a lot to offer if he would comply with the teachings of his father and work under Minister Louis Farrakhan to try to bring that nation that he is partially responsible for making dormant back to life. Why do you uh, teach racism? It's very funny, and Honorable Elijah Muhammad used to say this also. Just because we teach the truth, we're teaching racism. When the white man teaches you a bunch of lies about who discovered America and how you was an African naked, never tells you about the great kingdom and how you civilized the world, he calls that history when he makes you get an inferiority complex. But the moment we start to point out how you're the original Asiatic black man, when I say Asiatic black man, I mean you were once in Asia under the prophet North, and in your family North moved into Africa, his son Mizraim, his son Kush, his son Ham, and his son Shem, which is a Semitic, the Hamitic, the Kushite, or Nubians moved into Africa. So while they were in Asia, they were called Asiatic. When they moved into Africa, they were not referred to as Africans. They were referred to as Nubian, Kushite, Hamitic, and Semitic people. So when Allah Elijah Muhammad said, we were the Asiatic black man and woman, he was talking about when after the flood of Noah, family repopulated the earth. And then the white man came into existence. Now, Wallace D. Muhammad is as racist as y'all are claiming, me as Minister Louis Farrakhan are, because... He referred to his nation originally as Bilal. And Bilal, as the so-called Arabs keep reminding y'all, was a black Habashian or Ethiopian. We know that he was of the tribe of Judah. He passed the scepter on to the comfort of Muhammad of Arabia. But they make it look like he was just a black man amongst all these 
tail out. So when Wallace D. Muhammad reaches into this barrel of what the white man has taught him was all white eyes and pulls on the one black man that they try to make you think was the only black man there, Bilal, and I'd like to make the point clear. Right now, there's a problem. Muhammad was also black of Sudanese descendancy, and so was his uncle, Alabath, of course, and so was Ali, Amir Malin, and Abu Bakr Sadiq in them were red Arabs, but they make you think Bilal was black. So if he pulls out his name and identifies his nation as Bilalian, that is a racial statement because he's saying that they are the Blackians. So don't be fooled into thinking that Wallace D. Muhammad is not a racist and Imam Isa and Minister Louis Farrakhan, who both listen to the teachers of Elijah Muhammad, are racist because. Wallace D. Muhammad, by virtue of fact that he referred to instead of Bilalian, is that is a racist statement. And if he can fool the Arabs, he can't fool us who know. You can't fool a Muslim not nowadays. Do you think that it's a good idea that Wallace D. Muhammad said to take all the racial images out of the churches? I don't think it's a good idea. And I'll tell you why. The white man has already stamped in our heads and our minds and our souls an image of all the prophets as white men. And then they make you think it's wrong for you to draw pictures of them as black men. I will keep the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's picture high and I will make sure my children know that he was a black man and a black leader and that the Prophet Muhammad was black. And I'll make a picture of the Prophet Muhammad and show how he was black, and how Bilal was black, and how Ali was black, and how Fatima was black, and how all the prophets from Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and all of them was black, and prove it through the scriptures and through history. No, I think it was a wrong thing to say, remove them off your walls when they're already established in the children's hearts. And the Sunnis don't know what they're talking about, and they have no laws in any scripture to support it. And I'm going to go through a series of scriptures at this point so you can investigate it yourself. When in Christianity, regardless of what it says in Exodus 20, verse images of Jesus and Mary and Paul and Saint this and Saint that and Saint this. In Christianity, they're not conscious of image. But I didn't say, and I won't say that it's wrong and it's a sin. Because the man that says, for anyone to have a picture of another human being or a drawing of another human being and say that that's a sin, the man that says that is the sinner. Because there is no law in Islam anywhere in any of the scriptures, especially not the Quran, but that's a scripture. And I do not classify hadith as scriptures. Those are writings of men mostly light-skinned or what you might refer to as red or pale Arabs who's many years trying to make black people feel inferior. So what they say about color and pictures has no bearings in this conversation. Now, what I'm trying to make out is that if African people, Sudanese, Somali, Nigerian, people of Ghana, Mauritania, the blacks of Morocco, the blacks of Libya, the blacks of Egypt, the Nubians, of Aswan. If you don't start making black images of your descendants and make them known to your children the way the white Arabs do. Now, let me talk to you so-called Sunnis in America who have so much to say about my followers 
selling black pictures of Ali and black pictures of Fatima. They were black. The historical fact. Ask one of your white Arab brothers. And concerning pictures, you tell me that you haven't traveled the whole outer world. I saw on multiple book stands in the city of Cairo, and anybody who's been there can tell you pictures for sale in gold lit up frames. Now, I want you Sunni Muslims to spend so much time talking to my followers pertaining to symbols and images of men to tell me how can you receive money from Saudi Arabia as, or, as a salary or a stipend or a donation or a gift when these men are making themselves out to be an image of some type of immortality. According to y'all, the pictures we have are saying that we're violating some law if you find written in some hadith made up by some other white men. And I want you to tell me how they justify having the pictures of all these kings all over their houses. But when we do it, if something wrong, we write up in our book, imagine that if you say, well, remember these were the prophets. According to them, they got you believing that they're the descendants of the prophets. So what is the difference? In the eyes of Allah, there's no difference between the prophet or the descendant of the prophet. Because in the eyes of Allah, man was created equal. So we all understand our brothers are having pictures of Ali, Fatima, Hassan, Hussein, who were all black descendants of ancient Nubia from Sudan, from the, from the prophet Noah, alayhi salam, from the prophet Abraham, or Ibrahim, alayhi salam, of which Muhammad, alayhi salam, came from, and Muhammad is black. And we have a picture of him drawn from thousand years ago that's been reproduced, and we're going to present that regardless of what you feel. Because we know how you work. One white Arab on one side of the world, another white Arab on another side of the world. The one on one side of the world produces a white picture of Muhammad, and we have them in multiple books, and we have definitely put in our book called Racism in Islam, and the new books we're putting out on images. And we have pictures where y'all have drawn white pictures of Muhammad on one hand, and then your other hand, another white Arab says, this is haram, this is forbidden, once you've already established in our mind this white image. Those days are over. Now, we are putting out a picture, whether you like it or not. If you don't like it, just close your eyes. And then when you tell us that we shouldn't do it, we will tell you like the Quran says, bring your proof and show me where you cannot do it. You can't show me anywhere in the Holy Quran where it tells me I cannot have a picture of Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You can't show me anywhere in the Quran where it says I cannot have a picture of Nabi Ibrahim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or Musa, or Isa, or Yahya, or Yunus, or Ayub, or Idris, or any other other prophet from Adam all the way down to Rasulullah Muhammad, who was Khatim India. You can't show me anything. This is all innovation, things made up by your white leaders who want to keep you mentally inferior. But we refuse to pass this mental retardation on to our black sons and daughters. We are looking up and worshiping white pale Arabs because they think the Prophet Muhammad was white. Just like that new movie that they have out about Jesus, supposedly about Jesus Christ. The biggest psychology you ever want to see in your life. And everybody arguing over unvalid points about the movie. Meanwhile, if they're still in your mind, no one is addressing the fact that they got an image of a white, blonde hair, blue eyes, or brown hair, beige eyes, or pale skin, brunette hair. They don't, no one's arguing the fact that they're making Jesus white. Meanwhile, white people are saying, they're desecrating the image of God. They're saying Jesus was God incarnate. They're desecrating the image of God and saying that he had sex with Mary Magdalene and Mary Martha's sister. And yet, you know, this is what y'all are looking at. You're not looking at the fact that they're still telling you that he was white. And millions of people are going to see that. 
when they did the Prophet Muhammad movie, y'all didn't see that they said his uncle was Alabas when he was dying. They showed Alabas laying up there as white as he could be. Y'all didn't see that. Why you stupid black fool? You must go out there arguing for having these tell us they're subliminally brainwashing you into an inferiority complex. Let me read off for you a list of places that you can go look if you have enough sense to go to the scriptures. Take Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, where it speaks about creating man in the image of Allah. It says, don't make images that he created man in the image of Allah. What are you trying to say to me? That every man I see is in the image of Allah? That every person I see looks like Allah? That if everybody on the planet looks different, then Allah has multiple different faces? Or did he mean something in man is like himself? The word they use for weird from sower means to make a duplicate or picture. Man has the power to procreate like Allah. He does not look like Allah to one eye. So when a person has a picture of their father on their shelf or a picture of their mother on their shelf and you soon you've got pictures of your relatives in your wallet or on your driver's license or on your passport that you've got to have a picture of yourself on in order for you to leave New York and go to Saudi Arabia for Hajj. Are you violating that same law? Because you have an image of yourself and the man next to you, your friend, brother so-and-so is going on Hajj with you has a picture of himself on his passport and an image of himself. Are you violating some law? Are you going against some divine commandment? Stop being so stupid. Stop being so easily brainwashed by Satan in the disguise of a man. He has you people so brainwashed that you can't recognize the two. When we put up the picture of Muhammad Ahmed or Alayhi Salam, black, that's what he was. And we want our children to know what he was. And we put up the picture of Ali, that's what he was. We want our children to know what he was. Let me make this clear. If they didn't put out these white pictures, we would have never had to put out black pictures because we'd all looked at each other just as servants of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But y'all are so slick, you pale Arabs. You put them out and then ban them. I had thrown Khomeini's pictures all over the place. I was in them Qaddafi's pictures all over the place. A fucking Mubarak from Egypt, his pictures all over the place. It's all over. They sell this thing all over Morocco. While you people are spending time attacking the Anthrodolog community, why don't you have the courage to attack the real Muslim world, as you call it? Why don't you go up against your so-called white leaders who pay your bills, who give you a new kind of Islamic welfare? All they want you to do is infiltrate and cause conflict inside America to suppress the blacks and keep them away from coming to the truth, and they give you a little salary, some of you so-called imams, while some of you congregations ask your imams, are you on any kind of salary in any kind of way from the white Arabs who have yachts and mobile homes and all kind of uh, uh, Mercedes, I mean hundreds of Mercedes Benz and all kind of wealth that they flaunt in London and in New York and out in the western part of the United States. Ask them, ask the imams, if your congregation are not afraid, are they receiving any kind of money in any kind of way from any of these people who are not living the sunnah of Rasulullah? The very headpiece that the Saudi Arabians wear, which was come from a cat from tying a camel's leg, has nothing to do with the way Rasulullah wore. He wore a white imma, a white turban, a tagia, and a long jalaba or jalabia or jubba, however y'all want to distort the pronunciation of it. And that's how he dressed. And anybody who don't dress like that is not wearing sunnah. He had a beard, a span hand, and when he got older, his wife would hit him in it, would turn a portion of the gray red. He did not have a red beard. He had dark black skin and thick hair. And you know it because in your hadith that you believe in, you say his wife, Aisha, braided his hair. 
black people braided hair throughout Africa. No countries in the world are known for braiding except Africans. So if the Prophet Muhammad was getting his hair braided by his wife Aisha, then what kind of texture hair did he have? Well, your hadith, you say it was slang, which is a, a trick word of saying straight. You can't braid straight hair. The Prophet Muhammad had dark, piercing eyes, dark brown skin. He wasn't even a light skin.